And welcome to Slasher Street Podcast. My name is Ryan Devlin, and thank you so much for joining me once again. This is a horror movie podcast where each episode I review and discuss in detail a different horror movie from our epic collection here at the house. Hope you're all having an absolutely awesome, awesome week. And welcome to the show on this very special edition of Slasher Street Podcast because I am joined by yet another special guest on the pod. Yes, to be honest with you, over the next two or three episodes, we'll be guest after guest after guest. I've been so lucky this year to be in contact and to get on the podcast some absolutely fantastic special guests and this week is absolutely no exception because I am joined by the writer, director and producer of the upcoming 90s throwback slasher movie Final Summer, Mr John Iceberg and uh, we had a fantastic chat all about Final Summer, horror in general, John's career, what's next for John and so much more so that's all coming up on this episode on the podcast but before we get into the interview ladies and gentlemen I just wanted to remind you on that we have an Instagram account so if you can please do give us a follow on Instagram we are so close to one thousand followers one thousand followers it's absolutely insane i had a goal to get to one thousand followers before the end of february uh today is the 21st but by the time you uh listen to this it's probably the 22nd so we've still got a week to go before the end of february so i'm so close to hitting a thousand followers so if you are on instagram please do head over there search slasher street podcast give us a follow uh posting so much great content on there all the horror movies I'm watching, uh, horror collectibles, autographs, all that fantastic stuff, all horror related. So please do give us a follow on there. And likewise, if you are listening to us on Apple Podcasts, please do uh, leave us a review. A five-star review would be awesome. And obviously, if you've got time, please do uh, write us a review. I would love to read all your comments. Uh, and obviously, it helps get the podcast out there to more people. The more people who rate it and review it, the more Apple, um, you know, will push the podcast out. And I suppose any other podcast app out there, if it has a review function, please do uh, leave us a review. It would be absolutely fantastic and greatly appreciated. But uh, anyway, that's me. That's me. Enough plugging, enough waffling on. Ladies and gentlemen, let's get straight into the main event. Let's get into the Slasher Street podcast interview with Mr. John Iceberg. Enjoy.
Okay, guys, welcome back to Slasher Street Podcast. And I am absolutely delighted to be joined by a very, very special guest right now. He is the writer, director, and the producer of the upcoming 90s throwback slasher flick final <laughs> summer, Mr. John Iceberg. So, John, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. And uh, I really appreciate it. I look forward to this all day. Um, how are you doing tonight? Doing good. Yeah, doing good. Thanks for having me. It's, it's exciting to be here. So thank you again, you know, for having me on the show. No, my, my pleasure. And uh, I just want to get it probably just to save any confusion uh, as we go through the episode. You were like gracious enough to send me um, a copy of Final Summer. So we're not going to well, we're going to try and not spoil Final Summer in the in this, in this interview. But if there's any questions where people are kind of thinking, how does he know that? It's like, well, I have seen the film. So I just, and again, I want to thank you for sending me that link because I got to watch it last night and I thoroughly enjoyed the film. I thought it was a fantastic, uh, fantastic uh, movie and it flew by and it was very enjoyable. Oh, thank you. Thanks. Thanks again. Yeah. Yeah. It's been, it's been a ride getting here. You know, it's kind of insane. Just, uh, you know, from when we started to, to now and even in the fall, we, we had the film in, festivals and every time after a festival i would take it back and recut it again and so by the time like i think we just finished adding music as of the end of december so it's just it's been kind of evolving through the whole course so yeah yeah, anyway, yeah. And now we're here we'll get into all of it we're going to get absolutely yep. into all of this final all the final summer and everything um but i suppose the best place to start is obviously at the beginning so before we even get into your i suppose your career you know have you always been a fan of horror films have you always been a fan of slasher films yeah oh definitely like i i grew up kind of a kid in the 80s you know and so i think that because the thing i always was thinking about is like what is the appeal what is like the enduring appeal of these films you know because you there's just something about them sometimes it's and i really feel like it was like the iconography like the visual side of these films that was just it kind of conjures all of these feelings and emotions and i remember being a kid and seeing like friday the 13th posters at the theater or you know, just just horror films in general, and 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 then the masks of like Michael Myers, and I had two older cousins uh, who were constantly waging this battle of who would win in a fight between Freddy and Jason. You know, like when I was growing, <laughs> and so I think I just kind of grew up in that environment, and then so and then I saw Poltergeist for the first time that scared the living daylights out of me, and it just was. I, had a, I remember I had a friend who lived across the street we had like a basic tv but he had like hbo and cable and so he would tell me all about like the scary movies so we'd be walking to school like in second grade or third grade and he would tell me the plots of halloween 2 at the time which made oh. no sense at all but i was <laughs> like wow that's cool i can't wait Woo, you know like that kind yeah, of yeah. I think the movies were playing in my head and then i remember uh, at, at my school library, they had all these universal horror books. And so my parents were pretty conservative. And so we couldn't watch these. Like, I couldn't even, like, dress up for Halloween, you know. And oh, the, first, wow. the first year I dressed up as, like, like a mummy one time. And I was so excited because it was the closest I could get to, like, being a horror monster, you know. And and then, uh, but the tough thing about it was it was just my dad was a paramedic. And so it was one really long strand of, like, you know, like a you know, bandage or whatever. Yeah. I, I I couldn't go to the bathroom like all day or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> this is the worst costume ever, you know, but like <laughs> it was just so, and uh, 
I think just, but I would smuggle the books home under my coat and then my mom would find them inevitably and like leave them on my bed. Like they were some kind of porn magazine or something. <laughs> and it's like, thanks mom. But I just, I loved horror. And I think later on, I think as I kind of got more into horror, I think it's just, you know, it's like the things that you're not allowed to watch. That's exactly, yeah. that's exactly where you gravitate toward, you know, like I'm sure, what about for you? Yeah, absolutely. I'm honest. I've been. I I feel like I was born just. I, I I just really wish I got to experience that '80s kind of boom because I might look older than I am, but I am. Uh, I'm just you know I've just turned thirty, so I completely missed the '80s um, '80s boom and the. I, I to be honest, I didn't. I don't even remember. You know, like the video store kind of experience. Mm. I vaguely remember going to Blockbuster. <laughs> but like not it, it just wasn't what you see in kind of i suppose the movies and how people yeah. experience it and i really wish i got to experience that and uh yeah i've just been a, a horror fan pretty much all my life since i was like well 10 or 11 since i was allowed to yeah. watch them i remember <laughs> but uh i wanted to be a horror not wanting to not what i wanted to be a horror fan but i was really interested in horror and yeah. uh, i think when i was like 10 or 11 i asked my mom if I could get like some horror movies for Christmas and she delivered in my stocking, there was nightmare on Elm street, oh, wow. the exorcist Friday the 13th, like all of the, <laughs> you know, the big ones, you know, the, the heavy yeah. hitters. And uh, yeah, ever since then I was just an absolute addict for, for horror. Uh, yeah. <laughs> That's so you, cool. So you're saying, no, I was going to say, do you have any, do you have any like favorites? So because yeah. I think final summaries, there's a you lot know, of Friday the 13th uh, yeah. nods. And you know, it's interesting. Cause like uh, when I, I think just going back then, I go. I, I remember like because we had a video store in town that was like kind of independent, like mom and pop store, and I would always try to get posters or they had the big cardboard standups. And I remember getting this massive like Dark Man, like the Sam Raimi movie Dark Man. He had this massive stand, and I got it. And it took up half oh. my room in my house, but I was like, yeah, you know, it's so cool, you know. And then of course Evil Dead too, and you know all of that with Bruce Campbell. But I think. Um, you know, like I grew up in Aurora and our town was famous for that movie Wayne's World, which wasn't filmed in Aurora, but it was like set there. But anytime I'd say where I'm from, everybody's like Wayne's World. And like, yeah, it's, that's right. But, the, but uh, uh, I moved to a smaller town. It was in the middle of cornfields. And uh, I went from a lot of friends to like a lot of bullies. And then I, I had this one friend named Chick and he he loved like comic books and he got me into all these horror movies. And it was like Evil Dead 2 and then Alien and Aliens and then, you know, sci-fi. And I just kind of loved it. And so I think, but the funny thing with slashers is it's like, I distinctly remember the first time I watched like a Friday the 13th movie. And it felt like, I think it was just because it, it felt scary to watch it because it was like, oh, I shouldn't watch this. And what if my dad runs in and sees me watching this? You know, and so I had that, that appeal to it where I think it was scarier it felt scarier than it probably should be. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You, yeah. Know, like, you look at it now and you're like, yeah, you know. But I, I think it's just it's something about it. And then going into research on this film, I watched like 200 slasher films. And oh, so wow. I think like some of my favorites out of that were like films like My Bloody Valentine or Black Christmas, stuff like that, you know, which, yeah. you know, I, I could go on forever about this stuff. So, <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's awesome. That is awesome. And uh, yeah, for me, like, obviously, this is Slasher Street podcast. Slashers are completely my favorite subgenre of horror. Yeah. I just think uh, they're just, 
it's a bit of a weird way to say it, but they're just like feel good movies. Mm -hmm. Like you can just put them on on a Sunday, (laughs) just chill out and just enjoy them. And you know, you don't need to think too much. You just enjoy seeing people getting like taken out one by one. And it's just, (laughs) it's, Weirdly therapeutic, like I don't. It's, 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 it's like a two hundred slasher film marathon. I would just wish I. Oh yeah, <laughs> fantastic. Yeah. Well, it's so fun because it's like even it's like I don't really feel like there's necessarily a bad slasher film. It's just variations of quality and, and production. You know, at, but there's just so many good ones out there. So I feel like some of my like I, I the thing I kind of really was interested in with the '80s slashers is you have. Because I remember, like as a kid, I remember there was these guys, Siskel and Ebert. And if you see, did you see the new '80s, uh, the horror doc that just came out on Shutter? Yeah, yeah, the yeah. In Search of Darkness. Yeah, and it was yeah. great how they they went into that whole like Gene Siskel, like publicly shaming all these like Friday the Thirteenth, like oh shame on you, and write them a letter. And I'm like, what? Did...? But I, I remember when uh silent night deadly night came out and just the uproar and all of the yeah. you know moms against horror films would come out and like you know pick at the petition the film which you know as a filmmaker you're like this is amazing and now i have yeah. publicity <laughs> for a film that to me was actually kind of interesting when i watched it later i'm like that's kind of interesting because I, I also taught kids with emotional disabilities who were in a lot of trauma and so i remember watching that as one of the 200 films and thinking like oh, it was an interesting exploration of how mm. trauma kind of shapes what eventually happened but um now there are just so many like the thing i, I kind of gravitated to were like the regional horror films that were made outside of the studio system because i felt like there's a really like columbia pictures i think made this movie called happy birthday to me or whatever where it's like it's like a slasher film but they try to dress it up with like a little bit more you know yeah, I'm like, just give me no, no, just give me the thing, you know, just give me the thing I like. <laughs> yeah, yeah, just hustling good slashes. So, and to be honest, as you say there, like, there's like not a bad. Like for me, some of the best slashes are some some of the I suppose worst slashes right. because they're just so much fun to watch. Like I just could, I just yeah, brilliant stuff. So, uh, yeah. but I just, um, I, I, I sorry, sorry. Watched, uh, uh, there's a uh, Death Screams that I just watched. That was I don't know if you've seen that one. It's on Arrow Video. Oh, it's really good. Um, but it was so bizarre because it was like uh, the son of Ozzy and Harriet was like the director of this film, and it was shot like in South Carolina or something. And it was kind of really bizarre, but also really great. You know? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, they, they stay at this carnival for like half of the movie, but once they get away from the carnival, then it kicks into gear and you're like, okay, thank God. But there's this, like, have you seen Madman or? Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. And I love how, like, at the beginning, he's singing the campfire legend, you know, and, and, and then you've got pieces and um, I don't know, all the Canadian, like, they call it the Canucksploitation films or whatever, yeah. you know, the. <laughs> Like, what can we do with Jamie Lee Curtis? Ah, okay. yeah. we'll put her on a train, you know, we'll put her over yeah. here, you know. Anyway, I could, I could go on forever. But uh, Oh, that's awesome. So anyway, so like, how did you um, get started into making, you know, movies? Like, is that something yeah. you've always wanted to do? Um, you know, how did that, how did you transition into that? Yeah, well, it, it's funny because like, um, it really kind of started way back, um, uh, like in, in, middle school when I moved to that town and I had a friend named Mike and he had a video camera and two VCRs. And so me and chick 
would go over to Mike's house on weekends and we would just write movies and we would make these terrible like ninja movies where we were like superheroes and jumping off of, you know, like we probably should have realized, oh, you can edit that instead of actually jump off of a roof, you know, into some some, you know, like cardboard boxes. We, yeah, <laughs> you could have faked that shot, you know, stuff like that. But um, it just kind of and then we would basically like basically take make movies and then substitute them for homework sometimes in class. And then it, I, I wanted to go to film school, but I I went to film school briefly and dropped out. And then most of my 20s, I was playing in bands. And then uh, one of the bands I was in, we did some music videos and I was kind of blown away by the experience because we worked with this DP. I think he was he's from Scotland, actually. And I was just like he was the coolest person I'd ever met. Like, I felt like the director was a friend of ours, but I was so drawn to what he was doing because I was like, well, he's doing the really cool thing with the camera and the lighting. Mm -hmm. and, and so I just felt like I wanted to know more. And and so that was just kind of there. And then later on, as I got into more bands, we started making music videos on our own. And then finally, uh, uh, a film came to town in 2014. Uh, and it was kind of right when I was done with school. And so I and they, you know, they said, oh, you know, we're looking for like, you know, interns or whatever. So I interned as a grip on it. And with grips, it's like the best position on a film set because you're doing everything with lighting, you know. So like diffusion and 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 everything and you're building rigs and all this kind of stuff. So it was a really great experience. And then the people on the set worked in Chicago in the film industry. So that really gave me like a really good professional experience. And then after that like i was like just got bit by the bug i was like i gotta do this all the time so i bought it like a canon t3i and then i graduated to like a black magic cinema camera and then yeah. <laughs> and i just i would you know i was like gripping on commercials locally and then i was i had some mentors that kind of took me under and i learned a lot from them and then i started doing this film workshop in the back of uh, our studio and it was supposed to be like once a month and we just started doing it every wednesday night and then we just kept doing more and more. Anytime I bought a C stand, and I was like, "All right, guys, we're gonna here's the C stand," or <laughs> you know. And it just we just did a lot of like lighting exercises. And the the thing was, we were always drawn. To, I think I was drawn to horror lighting because it's to me it's like the most kind of visually interesting. Because I've worked on some films that are drama, and it's it's okay, but it's kind of you know it's like you you have your lighting and whatever. It's almost like interview lighting for like. 20 days or something it's not that interesting but like yeah. with horror you can do all sorts of cool you know like you're turning lights off you're you're either responding to the environment you know you, you have this backlit you know like exorcist you know yeah like when he shows up at the house and there's that 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 you know ray of light coming from a room out there it's so you know it's iconic and so or or halloween when like jamie lee curtis is in the doorway and michael myers comes yeah, out yeah. in the darkness you know i, I love that stuff so so yeah, uh, yeah. So then, um, so that that was, and then I worked on uh, several films. Kind of after 2014, I worked for a couple of days on this movie called Slice, which was like the only A24 direct to streaming video. <laughs> it would have been like the A24 like direct to video like back in the day, you know. But yeah, uh, yeah. And that was fun. That that was some really interesting stories on that. But I just it was just one of those things where like I I just wanted to keep learning more and more. And we would do bigger and bigger projects. And then when films would come to town, we'd work on them. And it, it just kind of grew. So it was really, it just kind of, I don't know, you know. <laughs> awesome. 
So, so did you? So you said before that you were in bands, and uh, so was music kind of. If we could, I don't know if you're okay to just touch on that. Like, was that? Were you in like touring bands, and then did you? Was that you know? More, was that kind of a a job at the time before moving over to? Yeah, we, in my twenties, we were we were kind of trying to make a go at being you know actual because we I was in a band called the Firebird Band, and we would go all throughout the U.S. and Canada on tour, and we had uh, songs on the radio and you know uh, videos on like what was like you know, Fuse and VH1 and Much Music and all over the place. But you know, it's just one of those things where you know, egos and <laughs> you're in your twenties and you're kind of an idiot. And so I think like now we all we're friends, but I feel like it's a pressure, you know, stress does things to people, I think. And so I think that was, you know, it's hard to be a musician, I think, you know? So. Yeah. Yeah. Even harder these days. I, I, I promote gigs in my town here. Like that's yeah. kind of one of my many side hustles. <laughs> like I've oh, got yeah. a, oh, yeah. a promoter here and like, the band the bands it's just it's so difficult now with you know price cost of touring and then yeah. Oh, yeah. you don't make any money on the music that you actually make it's all on merch right. it's such a <laughs> business yeah. but like you know when you're on stage it's absolutely awesome but oh, it's, yeah. just, it's it's just such a difficult business to be in at the moment i think oh yeah i think the the, the i think the cool thing about it was that it kind of taught me because we would go on tour in a van for like two months at a time and like live off five bucks a day so it kind of taught me like and plus, like you're 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 trying to, you know, be professional too. So I think it kind of taught me a lot of like just resourcefulness and mm -hmm. just sticking through when things are tough, you know. Because it's like if you have a, a tribe of people around you or a good crew, and you can stay through the tough moments. That really helps when things get really tough, mm -hmm. you know. But it, so I think that was, and then also when you get into editing, the thing that I found with editors and even when I'm working with actors, we had to do some ADR on this film. It was like, there's people who seem to come from a musical background, seem to be able to do ADR really well. Cause there's that rhythmic and that cadence and the musicality. And so it's all these little things, you know, or even with editing, it's like, you learn that there's a rhythm to every scene, you know, sometimes. And it's like, do you want to, let's draw this out, you know, and then hit them with, you know, the thing or, yeah. you know, what I just, you know, all that stuff. So awesome. So, <laughs> We went into. We'll, we'll talk. We're gonna. We're absolutely gonna get into final summer. So you made your. This is your feature debut. I believe yeah. you know this is the big one. Uh, so what? What made you want to make a a slasher movie of all things? Was that <laughs> something that you just you know were all that was the dream to make a slasher film, or was it just what? What was the reason for going into kind of that uh, subgenre? Yeah, I think it's it's. I think because uh, one of the things that we would do in my workshop is talk about like everybody would always go and pitch movies or whatever, like to make, you know, shorts or whatever. And I'm always like, you got to do like the most efficient thing, because if this is your, you know, you're learning all the time. And, 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 and uh, so there's all these hurdles. And if you can kind of see where the hurdles are coming, maybe you can avoid them somehow. <laughs> and so one of the things I was thinking was, uh, um, kind of efficiency of efficiency of story and what i love about slasher films is they usually take place in one night right so it's like okay so at least in terms of story structure it's like here's the start and then there's the morning and so you, you know it's going to end at some yeah point, you know and, and i think it's just and to go back into like back into what you 
so like they always call it like backing into your film. So you look at what resources you have. And, you know, I wanted to do a creature feature at one point because I like like movies like The Howling. But I'm like, yeah, that's going to be expensive and look bad. <laughs> so, <laughs> so so then I thought like, well, well, I do love slasher films. Why don't we just do like a guy in a mask killing a bunch of teens? Because that seems pretty linear, you know, and, and there's a hundred, you know, a thousand of these things. So it's like, all right, let's just do that. And so um, I just started looking around for locations and then I found this uh, Boy Scout camp nearby. And so I kind of connected with them and they said, oh, yeah, sure. So I basically went to the camp and looked around the place and I was like, oh, I like that bridge or that's a cool suspension bridge over this river or they got a pool here. And so it's like the wheels kind of start turning, you know, and you're thinking like, okay, I can. Because I think the other thing is like, you know, like write to what you have, write to the resources you do have. And and then to go back to horror, because it's such a great it's a great genre for for emerging filmmakers to do versus a drama where like mm -hmm. you need names and no one's going to be in your movie if you've never done a film before yeah. <laughs> and you don't have a famous last name or something. So it's like, OK. And I think I go back to like what you were saying. It was like you love these films. And so uh, that's kind of where I came from, I think, on that. You know, it's like, yeah. you know, so, yeah. Awesome. So, um, well, you touched on it. Well, uh, yeah, well, well, I might ask a question now, actually, because you touched on that. Um, the setting for Final Summer is the uh, the summer camp setting, which is, you know, yeah. synonymous with slasher movies. And uh, But the thing is, with this particular summer camp, it, it well, it obviously was. It appeared very genuine on the screen. It felt like a real summer camp. I don't actually. I don't know if you've actually played the the game, the Quarry, um, yeah. on PS Five and PS Four. It's like a, a super massive game where it's like more like a movie um, than a game. The, this camp looked just like huh. that camp in the game. It was like I was, there was like the pool and the yeah. kind of the bridge, um, mm. the kind of you know where we see the killer for not the first time, but when kind of the kids see the killer on the bridge. Yeah. It totally reminded me of the quarry, and that was an awesome sense. So how did you find that location? Did you already know it existed, or do you know oh, yeah. you were there? Um, I was looking around for camps, and there was a really great – there was another camp that we weren't – they told me no. <laughs> oh. But it was, like, the most perfect – like, it looked like the Camp Nobi Soko from the original Friday the 13th. There was this lake. It was, like, trees along of it. It had this dock with the big, you know, like, I mean, it looks straight out of Friday the 13th. And, and, and I was, and it was pretty close by. And so I, I asked them and they were like a horror movie. They're like, no, no, no. So I'm like, all right. Fine. <laughs> <laughs> Which, you know, makes sense. Surely they would have, it's a summer camp. Surely they I would know. be like, I know. It's perfect. Any horror films ever. Like this is where right. they are. This is where they are. <laughs> yeah. 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 So I, I saw this other camp um, about, about 30 minutes from where I live in Champaign. And I was looking at it and I was like, well, it's been, it's kind of isolated. It's not that many people know about it. So I feel like maybe they'd be open to this kind of a thing. And a lot of the Friday, the 13 movies were shot at summer camps. I'm like, okay, this, there's a precedent. So, okay. So, so I reached out to them and they said, sure. So I was kind of blown away, <laughs> but it was good too, because it was also, you know, uh, COVID, you know, at the time was pretty, was, we were still really in it. And I'd worked on a movie the, the prior summer called uh, Revealer, which was out on Shudder recently. And like my dad was a paramedic, my mom was a nurse. And so they were like the COVID kind of protocol, you know, like supervisors in that film. And that was like one of the first films in our state 
that kind of got back into production with the COVID protocols. And so that helped me to see how, like, okay, this is how they're doing it. And we can take these things and put them to our film because, you know, because our budget was so small, like if someone got sick, that would have been it. We wouldn't have been able to finish it really. So it's like we had to build a bubble. So it was kind of cool where we, we were able to actually stay at the camp the entire time that we shot, which was awesome. You know, because it's you, you just get into that weird world. Like when I like some of the actors, they talk about how they went to Target one day after being at the camp for like weeks or something. And they were like, this is the most surreal <laughs> experience. <laughs> you know, there's like gum there and like things they can buy. And it was yeah. Like, we yeah, we all stayed at these terrible. Uh, They're like these the camp like staff uh, had these little like circle of uh, really terrible, smelly uh, small cabins and it was like full of dead rats and eggs oh, no. and I had to clean it out for like two days. It was disgusting, but, uh, yeah, no, it's, it was a great camp. It was really fun. You know, yeah. like the, the locations I think were the things that I was like, ah, oh, you know, yeah, I want to yeah. see this, you know? So anyway, the, the locations are real winner. Like I was really impressed watching the film. Mm. Like the location was fantastic. Like right. it, Felt like, well, I say it felt like a genuine summer camp because it was a genuine summer camp. Right. But that's yeah. like, that is so. Did you where, where did the idea of final summer come from? Like, did you always want it to be a, a camp uh slasher film, or yeah. was that just you know, did you just stumble upon the camp kind of thing? I think, like, you know, it's funny because like I, I, I do love like the Friday 13th movies a lot, and I just felt like I, I love Sleepaway Camp too, all those like the burning yeah. and stuff like that. And I'm just like, you know, it'd be. And I think for me, when I looked at final, when I look at Friday Thirteen movies, I, I like them, but sometimes I feel like they're a little slow. And so I wanted something that was could be kind of like the the most like roller coaster version of a Friday the Thirteenth kind of a film, you know, where it's like all this stuff is happening. Because you know? I, I go back to the original Friday, where like nobody knows what's happening. Like there's a killer, but no one knows. They just kind of wake up, and then there's an axe in their head. And yeah. then it's like only at the end when like a body gets thrown into the window and Adrian King's like having her tea that she knows anything is happening. And so I thought it would be fun to 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 kind of take that framework and that location like setting, but do something different with it where it's like instead of nobody knows what's going on, I wanted everybody to see like, holy cow, like what? You know, <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> it's it's so that was kind of interesting. And then I also thought like, well, if instead of like like the, the Friday movies, they're always kind of at the beginning of camp. So they they don't know each other. They're always trying to hook up. I was like, well, what if it's the end of camp? They're sick of each other. But they have that shared history and that shared sense of friendships and, and annoyances and, you know, people they're tired of. You know, they just want to go home, you know. And I thought, well, that would be an interesting because then now it's like instead of you're just trying to hook up with someone, if you're in a situation like that, you're forced to kind of go to save your friend's life or something. Yeah. So, so I kind of thought if like, it was almost like, what if you were really in a slasher film? Like, what would you do? And, and, and I know like people are always like, Oh, I would do that. I'm like, no, no, no. That's what you think you would do. Yeah. <laughs> what you would really do is like run like that way. Like, <laughs> oh, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, forget your buddy and be like, ah, oh, shoot, you know, or something like, you know, like that. And then you got to go yeah. back, save his life. And you're like, ah, oh, cursing the whole way you know <laughs> <laughs> so that's kind of that was kind of the 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 um some of the the inspiration for the slasher and then 
we can go into the survivor thing a little bit too if you want but yeah. yeah absolutely well um we could touch on that now actually because i've got a couple of other questions about kind of other things as well in the film so that kind of leads on nicely to i suppose some of the themes of the movie as well which yeah. is obviously past trauma and uh, we have our fi- our final girl who you know throughout the movie we see her past trauma and why she reacts to things i'm trying not to spoil the film as, <laughs> as best as i can so, uh, you know what was kind of the uh, the you know the idea behind that kind of the um, the inspiration behind that for you like yeah. making that a central it is a central theme of the film you know oh, yeah. well i think it's interesting because so i so i have ptsd i got it from a pretty abusive uh, relationship i was in with someone who i guess that you would say like antisocial personality disorder or malignant narcissist sociopath kind of thing and so i was with this person for uh, probably about a year and then i spent like two years trying to kind of get away from this person and then you know i went through a lot of like therapy and and you know i had like i had ptsd pretty bad um and then i also taught kids in middle school who also had PTSD from a lot of abuse and trauma. And then my dad, he was a paramedic for 35 years. And so he has PTSD as well. And so I thought it would be interesting to show that. And then also to go to like the villain of the film, I kind of felt like, you know, when you go through things like that, like I've kind of, I've kind of talked about this before, but like uh, when you go through situations like that, it's hard to relate to people because the things that you've seen, it's like so weird. You know, like I always get people like, oh, yeah, I dated a crazy person once. You're like, yeah, I don't I don't know about that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, yeah, no, this is not like this was like serious, like pretty messed up kind of stuff. And so I, I kind of started to relate to the final girl more. You know, like Heather Lagenkamp's character, Nancy, from, from Nightmare on Elm Street, or like Sidney Prescott's character from Scream, or, you know, and so I felt like it was just like a, a you see the, the, the strength and the resiliency of being able to survive these situations and still being standing at the end. And that, that was inspiring to me because I felt like that's how I felt getting out of this thing. You know, it was so crazy. And so, so I wanted to kind of put that in there because there's a, there's a, a nuance to PTSD that's not always very clear. And sometimes like it can look scary. So that's why there's one character in the film where I wanted to build up a backstory about him or about this character where it's like, you know, but like when you're in that, that zone or that kind of tunnel, like I call it this kind of tunnel. Cause sometimes like when you, you get triggered by things or whatever, and you're kind of, your sight kind of goes down to this one spot and when I was teaching kids who would get into that, they would, they would like, you know, they would kick, kick anybody's butt who like just stood in front of them <laughs> and they, you know, cause they were just such in fight or flight. And so I yeah. kind of wanted to have those themes kind of playing. And so even with our final girl, when she's triggered by what's happened at the beginning, it's almost like she survives because she is continually in that space of fight or flight where she's just this close to like, just just running that way you know and so i felt like that's you know and then to go to the villain stuff i felt like i wanted to show like when i look at like jason from friday 13th i'm like he's just like jaws in the woods you know it's not nothing interesting about it (laughs) (laughs) he's just and he does the breathing thing and that's about it i'm like come on like that's and so i wanted something that was more true to 
the the gaslighting and the manipulation and the 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 you know like props and lies and all of these things because they're they're trying to get you to see something that's that's not real but if that's all you see it's kind of like becomes your reality mm-hmm. and so that's kind of where i wanted to come from so where you have someone under the mask that's almost like ted bundy in a way you know versus like mm-hmm. i always kind of joke about this but i was like dude if if scream was real like one of those guys would have killed the other one at the end of the movie. Like, yeah, <laughs> killed Stu because I mean, there's no way that Billy would have gone that far and left that open door there to like, you know, out him. So I feel like Stu would have Billy would have killed Stu. You know, it makes no sense. So that's why with that one moment in the film, people have been shocked by it. But I'm like, that's exactly you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that that I know what moment you talk about, and that did get me and that was i was just like oh shit like that was (laughs) (laughs) and i think it's fun because it's it's like it's you know because again that was the thing i kind of went back to with like how do you how do you make a slasher film there's like a thousand of them different and that's 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 the tough thing because you've seen them all and everybody's seen them all so everybody knows all the all the things and so you're trying to figure out how to shift things around and and yeah while still kind of you know, respecting what the slasher fans want to see. So not yeah, to put yeah. more blood in next time, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah, was, was that, um, cause obviously there is, there is gore, there is, there is kills in the film. Mm. Was that something that you would have like preferred to have upped the ante on in terms of the gore or was that, you know, cause it, the kills are on screen. Like yeah. I'm not saying that they're not on screen. So was, was that something that like you would have, is that like a budget thing that, cause I think looking at the film, it was beautiful to watch. I, and I, I, I'll be honest, like it was absolutely. I thought the lighting was absolutely on point. I thought you know the, the cinematography was on point, and the, I thought the acting was on point. And the kills that we do see are, are really solid, and especially I'm not going to spoil it, but that kill that we were just right. speaking about there, like that, really like got me. I was like, oh shit! Right. But was that like you just right there? Would you have preferred to have a bit more? bit more gore or was that no, i think i think the thing for me was i was kind of going for the shock of it because i so like a part of it the reason why i did some of the scenes like there's one scene that kind of takes place in a wide shot where mm. you know they're going out to talk to the guy and then it's kind of revealed this thing and then it just kind of instantly happens and someone was like oh there's no cut in but i, I never wanted to cut in because part of what i wanted to show the audience it's not some, it wasn't even that moment. It was like the moment after when this person is walking to this other person. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I, I almost want to say the thing, but I know, like, I know. It's so difficult. You know what I'm talking about. And they're like, like, this is the person that did it. You know, this is the, and to me, I wanted it to be where the audience sees what's happening and there's no question at all who is doing it, but you're seeing them instantly gaslight the other character to show how insane gaslighting is. Yeah. Like you literally kill somebody and then you turn around like they're like that that's the killer. And you're like, I just saw and so I wanted the audience to also feel the same like holy crap kind of thing. And so I remember when we shot that scene on set, people were like, ooh, like that's I think they they started to get where I was coming from more with some of the stuff I'd I'd been through where they were like, wow, like okay, this is making me see things differently now and i think that's where because i always go back to like gone girl even even though gone girl was like there's some gory parts but that moment when they're like in the bed and she kills him 
and it kind of takes place in a wide a lot like there's a lot of cuts into the blood and stuff but you see kind of in a wide shot where they're on the bed there's something very shocking about that i think and it's almost to see to see violence like at a like here as opposed to close in i think it's just more unnerving you know yeah yeah uh, it actually it did hit because i when we were watching it it was kind of like one of those things where you expect it to cut away because mm. you've got that kind of wide shot and you can see them like say for example fighting and then you, the axe comes across and you're kind of like oh it's going to cut away or it's going to be a cut away then a close-up or something but it's like it's not it's like you're literally seeing it happen like right. the person is moving around then the next minute they've gone bang in the back of the head, for example, or in the oh, front yeah. of the head, so it is it it is effective, and I and I think it kind of sits with you in a yeah. in a strange way, like it it's not like um like where you're going oh shit for the guy, you're actually like kind of oh oh <laughs> like, yeah yeah and, yeah. and that, now you've what you've said there about the whole PTSD and trauma and gaslighting, it actually totally makes sense because right. I was just sitting there thinking. It just didn't sit, you know. You know, you say, "Oh, that didn't sit right with me there," but that's yeah, the, the, that's what we're going for, you know. Oh, yeah, the reaction. Well, the the thing that was interesting was like with the first kill scene where like he he shows up to the camp. A couple of things that that were really funny was one, it's like as an audience, like you're you're you know what's kind of going on here, but then you got Mario walking out there with like the mask on, and so I felt I thought to me that seemed just so funny. That he would be like, "Oh, screw you, dude!" And he's like, "Yeah, one of them." And you're like, "Wait," <laughs> <laughs> you know. And then to instantly turn, and I think part of that goes back to the the narcissism of the the villain. And so, like, because I think with 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 like malignant narcissistic sociopaths, for more specifically, I think that there's like a it's all about like power and control, you know? And mm. so like, and, and then I think there's a, a element of sadism to what they're doing too. Like, you know, I remember when I was talking to like my person, I was like, can you just don't just please stop being cruel to me for like five seconds or whatever. And that was like just invitation to, you know, like twist it even more so. And so I felt like for this character behind the mask, it's like, we're kind of getting off on that, power that they have and so mm. to go in front of everybody and kill that guy to me that's like way more powerful than like because now it's like everybody's like no like there's no safe zone ever like there's nothing yeah. there's nothing here that's going to be because if this is happening in front of all of us with all of us here it's like all bets are off and so that's why i feel like you know in scream they're always trying to like solve the scooby-doo mystery i'm like i don't think anyone cares about <laughs> <laughs> they just want to get the hell out of here you know and so that's why i thought it would be you know because then you have like these characters that might typically be strong or athletic you know like the athlete or the jock or yeah. something and this one they're just so like oh my god like what the hell that, yeah, yeah. there is none of that kind of cliched thing they're just like yeah they are they are seeing it they are aware yeah, <laughs> yeah. so that's that's kind of what I wanted to do was just kind of go with that. And then, because again, going back to the psychology behind the mask, I wanted, so Lezo, who plays the, the, the under the mask, he kind of came from a dance background and he did a lot of mask work. And I saw some other movies like um, uh, My Bloody Valentine. And I think it's Peter Cowper, who's under the mask. He kind of came from a, a performance dance background too. So I wanted the character to have that physicality because even in, um, was that Richard Brooker who played 
Jason in part three of Friday the 13th, there's a scene where he's he's in the barn and he starts throwing stuff around. And I was so impressed by his physicality because I feel like Jason, we don't normally see that kind of thing. He's just like lumbering around. And then all of a sudden there's a, there's an ax in the air and then, you know, and that's it, you know, (laughs) you don't see the explosive energy. So I wanted him to like, you can always tell like there's someone thinking under that mask, you know, when they go into the kitchen and he looks over and he sees that stuff and he throws it over toward her. It's like, you want, I want to where like, even if it's a mask, you can see someone's thinking there. Yeah. Anyway. And he's the killer is a fast paced killer. Oh, yeah. Which I always appreciate, to be honest. <laughs> I, uh, uh, usually, I mean, obviously, I when I'm watching a slash film, I always just suspend my disbelief anyway because it's you know one of those that's part of the fun. But when I don't have to suspend my disbelief because the killer is fast as hell, like oh, yeah. <laughs> that makes it just so much better. Was that like part of the process as well for you, like wanting to make him a fast? Oh yeah, killer? oh yeah. Because I, I always go back to 28 Days Later, you know, with, when uh, uh, what was it? Um, uh, Danny Boyle. Yeah. Was, I remember seeing that in the theater, and I was like, "No, like <laughs> just running." You're like, "Bro, you know." And and I think there's just something to that that's really fun, and and it, and it lends to a sense of humor too. So there's a scene when Mario's being chased by the killer. He's just swearing his butt off. Yeah, I remember we were we shot that. We were just laughing every time we did the take. You know, and he's like, "What do you think?" I'm like, "I think it's exactly what you would say." Yeah. You know, it, 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 as this guy's chasing you, you know, and so it's just, uh, yeah. So that one scene that we did outside of the dining hall when he when he attacks for the first time, at the very end, he looks up and the, the kind of like the, the haze drifts across the frame, and then you just see him turn his head and then he just runs that way. I just I remember when we shot that, we we're like, oof, like because <laughs> you know he's going somewhere, and I think that's the thing that's scary. Is, is that there's a sense of purpose to what's happening versus the, the randomness of killing, you know? So, so I think that, that to me seems scarier. I don't know. Yeah. That's awesome. And Mario was fantastic. He was, my, oh, yeah. he was actually my favorite character in the film. I thought he was absolutely <laughs> hilarious. <laughs> oh yeah. Well, he's just so uh, miles. So miles Valentine who plays him, he's an actor that I've been wanting to work with for a while. He was, he was local to champagne. And I was like, man, I really want to work with you on this film. And, and it's just funny as I go to the cast, I feel like, you know, everybody kind of just, I really like how they were in their characters. And so, it, you know, and then Miles, he was definitely always one of my favorites, I think. And yeah. yeah and the guy who played uh, Kelly, he was originally supposed to be Peter, but it was interesting because I felt like Peter is such a, a dork, you know, like I'm <laughs> like, he's kind of like me, like where it's like, you'll never get, the girl you're you're always try but you'll you'll never be cool basically so i thought it'd be funny to have i'm like i feel like you're just you're just too good looking cool to be peter so (laughs) but but thankfully he was really cool and kind of took one for the team and and took on the the kelly role uh, because i feel like that's a critical role too um you know but anyway i'm just i'm kind of rambling right now no that's cool i was was gonna ask about the casting because one thing it's one of those you know not to not to kind of put you know lower budget indie horror into a box but sometimes the acting in low budget indie horror can be questionable yep. but that to me is again sometimes part of the fun like my wife she honestly my wife would we watch we watched 
tons of low budget indie horror. It's like so fantastic. And well, she doesn't really appreciate it the same as I do, but I, I love it. And uh, but I, what I will say is to be honest, the acting in this film was was solid. Like it, it didn't okay. feel hammy. I thought it was actually really really solid. So how did and, and believable as well? And the characters felt you know like that. That's how they would act in real life. The, yeah. I, don't think anyone, to be honest, really hit any duff notes. I thought it was really yeah. solid. So, um, you know, top, top, top effort from everyone involved there. Um, how did you go about casting these? Were they all local? Did you know who you wanted originally? Yeah. It's kind of funny, actually, because um, I went to go talk to you. So there's this guy, Aaron Munoz, who he was on uh, The Walking Dead and he played Barb's dad in season two of Stranger Things. But he teaches acting for camera at University of Illinois. And I heard that he, I was like, oh, wow, really? Okay, well, I want to go talk to him because I thought, because I kind of modeled our production after Texas Chainsaw Massacre, where we weren't in a, in a major film studio, a city or like a film hub, you know, like Chicago or LA or Atlanta. So we have to be more creative about how we find things. And so I, I looked at Texas Chainsaw and they were like, well, they went to a lot of the UT Austin, like theater program and stuff. And so I, I kind of went to talk to Aaron about, um, you know, like, who would you recommend for casting for these characters or whatever? And so we talked, but the funniest thing was I, I went to go talk to him <clears throat> at the Cranard Center, and I got on this elevator out of the garage to go up to his level, and this guy got on with me wearing these this blue coveralls, carrying a big kitchen knife. He looked exactly like Michael Myers without the mask. <laughs> and I just started laughing because I'm like, what are the odds that I'm going to go talk to someone about a slasher movie, and this guy literally gets on with me looking like michael myers yeah. so I, I i'm like i don't know what that meant like i, I went to aaron i'm like okay like this just happened and this sounds like i made it up but it was the most crazy thing but but he kind of came at with like oh these characters would be really good you know i'm like well this is so he kind of helped me a lot with kind of and then it was just a matter of kind of getting people we did some read read throughs with the group and just seeing how they worked and and then i think with that scene in the forest where lexi and peter are walking and talking um, I would, I had, uh, I tested some actors where we would just walk down the back of my alley behind my house doing that scene over and over again. Cause I knew it was funny, you know, but I, but I wasn't sure if I was getting the right chemistry. And then I finally found like Wyatt who plays Peter and then Jenna who plays Lexi. And I was like, their chemistry was, was really good. Cause I felt like he's, He's kind of an endearing character, but he's kind of a dork, you know, and I think that she's just kind of humoring him sometimes. And I feel like Peter is very much like me, where I'm always rambling about things, trying to be funny, but I'm, you know, just <laughs> and I was like, yeah, OK, sure, whatever. You know, so it's just it's just kind of funny. But that, yeah, those scenes, it was fun to see them start to actually come out. And then the guy who plays Moose, uh, this guy, Rico, he was from Chicago he just had a bunch of funny videos that he would make online where he would be like different people talking to each other. And I just mm -hmm. laughed at his stuff. So I was like, God, I hope he wants to be in this film. So, so I think we had just lucked out in a way with the cast. Cause it was, they were, they were really great. And, and like the stuff that Lezo did, I, you know, I, it, to me, it's funny. Cause I, I realized I've been, I'd edited the film for like 14 months and at no point did I ever think of him under the act, under the, the mask at all or under them under the mask at all so it was just it was really cool so, anyway. awesome awesome yeah. now the one i do I, I, i've been looking forward to hearing this 
particular story. And uh, we were talking, on, we've been talking on Messenger, you know, setting all this up. And you, you, so basically, you you told me on Messenger that someone tried to steal the movie. Like they came in with, like they were kind of like con artists and tried to uh, to steal the movie. So. Can, can you tell me what that what sure. was going on there? Because I've honestly been looking forward to this story ever since oh you gosh. sent me the screenshot. So I'll just let you have the floor. So like, so <laughs> let me know what happened there. <laughs> it was kind of insane. So you know, because I was I was raising a lot of money on my own, and then I I kind of like met this guy who was doing a lot. Of, he he did a lot of shows, like like reality streaming shows, and I caught I talked to him, and he mentioned he was do he was executive producing a horror film i'm like oh i didn't know you do that and he's like i'm like well I'm, I'm working on one myself too and he's like oh cool and he said i think i know these guys that might be really you know they might be helpful to throw some money in and so i i met with them on zoom and we were talking and i was telling them about my vision for the film and they're like oh it sounds great you know and like oh we'd love to like do this and we're going to give you like 50 grand for your movie which to me was like someone just gave me like a million bucks you know because it's yeah. like I've, I've always just had to like you know, shoot whatever with whatever budget I had, you know. And so to me, it was just, I just remember I was in tears because that's like your, you know, like when your your dream is going to happen and someone's telling you they believe in you to where they're going to help you make your dream happen. So it was like a couple of weeks where I was like, I can't believe this. This is amazing. And then it was, <laughs> and then it was like, like two weeks before I'm like, Hey, what's going to happen with this money? You know, cause we're about to go into filming, you know, and it'd be nice to know that this money's coming so we can, take care of some business whatever mm -hmm. like oh we're just working on the legal you know we got to get all that stuff tight before we send you the money i'm like okay then the week before i'm i'm like okay what's going on here you know like da 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 they're like oh they're still working on it and they're like oh hey john we're gonna send you legal now it's gonna look kind of scary at first but don't don't worry because this is kind of normal kind of stuff and so <laughs> So four days before they said before we start to we're supposed to shoot, they send me two forms. One is a chain of title, which establishes that I own everything on the film, all the IP and everything. And the other one was this thing called the copyright mortgage guarantee, which they talked about like it was this thing called a completion bond, where like if you work with you know if you work with actors that are known to be kind of you know a little bit. Mm. difficult or, or you know don't always follow through it protects your investors and so i was on this chain email with like the investors and then their lawyer and i was like i was like hey is this are you talking about a completion bond because that's not what this is and then the lawyer chimed in and she was like we know you don't have a completion bond blah 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 i'm like wow okay thanks so <laughs> anyway i when i'm looking and i'm reading this document it basically transfers all of the ip to them they would own it and we would just basically shoot basically a glorified sizzle reel for them. Because the other thing that they didn't tell me, which I found out later when I read an article, because I knew the guy's name and his last initial and then the production company. And so then one day I was talking to these other producers out of California to see about maybe helping us finish the film. And I discovered, oh, this guy had a three-year, 10-picture, $100 million deal with Netflix. Oh. <laughs> I mean, it was so crazy, you yeah. know, and so I kind of assumed that he was basically going to take our, we would go shoot it, he would take it, take it to Netflix, and, and like pitch them on this movie, and then they would shelve what we did, and then they would take Netflix money and make it like on a legit scale or whatever, uh -huh. and so it was just crazy, so basically... 
I, I can show you the, uh, yeah, but uh, uh, yeah, it's just, <laughs> so I tell them, you know, like basically like this is not going to work, you know? So, mm. so, and the funniest thing was the last thing that the guy wrote in his email. He's like, you know, he's like, John, we're not asking you to trust us. We're asking you to trust the $50,000 that we're going to send to you. Uh. Normally this stuff takes like, you know, like, like, uh, you know, like there's lots of stipulation of these, these, this money stuff. And my uh -huh. friend who actually produces a lot of films for like shutter and stuff, he's like, usually that comes with a few more zeros behind it. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, anyway, the funniest thing was at the very end of it, the guy said, truth be told, I, 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 I really believe in this film. I, I feel it will do extremely well. And so I, I just kind of did that as I didn't, I didn't answer it. I just kind of let that like drop and echo into yeah. the room. And I was like, all right, thank, thank you very much <laughs> for the vote of confidence. And so that night we, um, I had an emergency meeting with the cast and the crew and I was like, Hey, we just lost all this money. You know, can you guys afford to be on this film for like two to three weeks? And, you know, we had a we had a 16 grand Kickstarter. We had a Kickstarter that was still kind of wrapping up mm -hmm. and we made like 16,000 off of that. And then I had four or five K investors. And then one of my one of the guys that I, I shot a lot of commercials for, he was kind of going behind the scenes and trying to get more money for us. And then I had a lot of money uh, for my savings that I put into the film. And so basically that night we just kind of put it to a vote. And everybody mm -hmm. said, let's just let's just do it. And so we went out there and we had our because we the Kickstarter basically just covered all of our food and kind of incidentals and stuff. So we were able to get through the shoot. And then I basically just started taking on tons of like side gigs and paying everybody in installments. So I, you know, I I think I paid out like twenty three thousand dollars last year in rates. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know, and then I still got a little bit to go. But it was just I think the coolest thing was like you know, all the crew kind of came out of that workshop that I did. And I think we just all kind of like rallied around it. And that was great. Yeah. I, so, it, you know, it's, I just, it was really frustrating. It was extremely stressful. I was a total wreck basically going into production. I was like, I think one day I was so mad because the guys like brought the a crane, like the wrong direction. I like kicked the sample. <laughs> <laughs> I just completely lost my mind, I think for a little yeah. while there, but I think it's just, you know, it's just, it's helped, it's definitely helped me to kind of see that there is a definite predatory side to, to film industry that you have to watch out for because, mm -hmm. because distributors and people will take advantage, you know, if you, if you don't know the, you know, all of those things. So it's just so much. And then those guys who try to rip us off, they, they were under investigation by the SEC for <laughs> like, for defrauding seniors out of their retirement savings. Oh, man. Like sixty-seven million dollars, yeah. like uh, like on Better Call Saul. Oh, sure. yeah, 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 yeah. So it was kind of insane. So I just was like, well, you know. But it was funny because some days when we'd be on set, I'd be like, hey guys, you know what's you know, you know these guys try to rip off our movie. You know, isn't it cool that we're on this film that people try to steal? You know, and <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and came out the other end with yeah. the finished product. So yeah, yeah. so I kind of I always joke. It's like if we. I'd love to make this film like just really hit because I just want to yeah. piss those guys off for ripping us off. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Well, I, like I say, anyone from, I, I think I said it in our message that anyone who has like the, the balls to go out there and, you know, actually do it and make the magic and make the movie, like just, you, I've just got nothing but respect. And especially yeah. if you've already gone through all this shit with this, uh, <laughs> with these people as well, that's just 
adds fuel to that fire that we just want the movie to. Uh, I mean, we want all, you know, especially me oh, yeah. on the podcast, I, I want all indie horror to do extremely well. Oh, yeah. And I feel like we're in kind of a bit of a golden age of indie horror at the moment, yeah. to be honest. I think, there's I think so. You know, it's phenomenal. interesting. Yeah, because I, I went to AFM, the American film market. Uh, my, my dogs are up. But uh, oh. it was interesting to talk to distributors because they were talking about, like, they're, they're all looking for the next Terrifier too. But I was like, yeah. I remember these one guys were talking to me about, oh, we're trying to find the Terrifier too. I'm like, I could have kind of laughed. So I'm like, that's an anomaly because you're yeah. you're talking about a film from someone who has worked 16 years to make it to that point. Because it was like a short and All Hallows Eve and then yeah. Terrifier and then now yeah. Terrifier 2. So that's a lot of hard work to get there, you know. And, and, and then sometimes it's like, you know, even with like Skinnamarink, I think is such a fascinating case because I was joking with someone. It's like, I would never think to make a movie like that in a million years. But yeah. it's kind of crazy that that person was able to kind of stay true to their vision and then you yeah. know it's out there doing stuff so i think it's like i agree i think this is a, absolutely like a golden age for indie horror again i mean the fact that even films are going to the theaters now and yeah definitely it's kind of wild so i think you know it's exciting i think because i guess what i feel is like i feel like the alternative has been for the last 10 years is like marvel movies like 150 million dollar budgets like you can't even compete with that but i think the the freedom to make indie film especially horror it's like people are it's exciting again yeah definitely and 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 theaters are starting to um have confidence in them as well i think like uh obviously terrifier 2 was just this crazy crazy thing but (laughs) i just said there it was like damien has worked for 16 years on that franchise and Mm. i feel like built up a fan base on that franchise and obviously terrifier one got a lot of eyes in it over a long period of time so like the film came out in 2016 did pretty well but then mm. over the course of those three years yeah uh, which is kind of what i say to be i i always i like love terrifier and damien and everything that those guys yeah. do and but i've recommended that film to loads of people and then they've recommended that film to loads of people <laughs> and then it's kind of just been this crazy knock-on effect that now everyone has seen Terrifier and then Terrifier 2 came out and then all those people at once went to see Terrifier 2 and it became this absolutely insane thing. Yeah. It's just, it's, I don't, I I honestly don't think that is replicatable. It's insane. I don't think so either. And I think that's the thing that people don't get is like some of these films are anomalies and they're trying to make this other thing happen. But I'm like the magic of making that film happen so you can't repeat that. And so I yeah, think yeah, yeah. like I couldn't go back and try to do our film again. I don't, I don't think I'd want to. because <laughs> You know, I lost like 10 pounds or whatever. And I was, you know, like we were like up all. I mean, we were like because we were there for like 13 days. So we, we did like two days that were like eight to eight. And then we were doing splits from like two to two. And then the rest of the time we were like six to six. And you know, every day, like I had like my lighting diagrams out there. We were talking about like, okay, guys, like we do our, our set meetings every day. This is what we're doing. Take a photo of the lighting diagram so you guys know where everything's going. Because we were literally carrying generators out through the forest. You know, like the, there was a bridge sequence where we're on the suspension bridge over a river. We had to carry all that stuff like a mile through the woods, hiking all that stuff out there. Yeah. Because it was just, there was no roads to these locations. So we, <laughs> so I remember like we, we, I think we spent, ha- we were supposed to be there all night, but I think we got, we got what we needed. And I was like, let's wrap guys. Like, and they're like, well, we can still got time to shoot some more. I'm like, no, 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 really. Like, this is all, you guys have worked really hard. Let's reward ourselves for getting ahead. 
Yeah. I can see their faces. We're just like, shall Because I think that was a thing was like, you don't always know the scale of the film that you have, have written until you're there on set and you're seeing like, oh my God, like this is huge. And I think that was, because you would think like one location, it's a camp, but really it's like 80 different locations. Mm. And then it's night forest exterior. And so it was, it was a lot. I think the the first night that we shot, I think everybody realized just like what we were up against. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and like the scale of it, because we didn't have like condors. So we were, we, we had like a whole system for night lighting, but it was, it was really intense. And we finally got kind of a system for communicating with down, but it was like that first night. I remember everybody was like in shock, like this sucks. <laughs> you know but they were they were they were they were great though so yeah yeah and the whole film is pretty much shot at night so did you find uh, and i I will say as well i think i touched on it earlier that the (laughs) film is very well lit and that you know sometimes again and i'm not putting it in the box but sometimes indie horror you know especially night scenes it could be incredibly dark you're a bit like yeah What's, what's kind of going on there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I have to knock my light off in the living room where you know where we have the TV. It's kind of like, oh yeah, I can see what's happening there. Didn't have that problem with this film. It was just I could see everything: the the, yeah. the blues, the smoke. It's very well done. So, um, kind of lost my train of thought there. But I was thinking, yeah. <laughs> did, did, was that a challenge? You know, filming all at night and trying to get that lighting, you yeah, know, on point we, like it was. Well, we we did uh, some exercises kind of prior to filming where we, we, went, we would go out to like these forest preserves and we would set up the generators and we would kind of go through. And I remember specifically one was it was like inside of a car talking to someone. And I was like, okay, we're going to turn that light off over there and shoot it. And then we're going to add that light back in. And then now you can see the difference. And, that, and that's, you see it all the time, but like, you know, you don't get a sense of the, the place. And I wanted the, the camp to feel like a character too. So, because I want that immersive sense of like the crickets at night and, 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 and the cicadas and all of that. And I feel like you're like, it just adds to that sense of isolation. Like no one is coming to help you. <laughs> and you feel like if you're just in a black box, we could have shot that in the back of a studio and yeah. no a different, you know, like, so that's why I, tell, I, I wanted the, the same thing. And so we looked at, like the first season of Stranger Things and how they shot, because there's a lot of night force, you know, when they're going around the forest at night mm-hmm. trying to find what's his face. And so I, we would kind of study that stuff. And I was like, okay, they're, they're lighting in layers. And so that's what we're going to do. And so it was just kind of, that's just a big thing for me. And then we had like this tube of death that was like this massive hose that we would pump like uh, haze through. And I remember I was, it's like inevitably you find yourself on a set asking for like the most ridiculous thing, you know, because it's like we we'd be the whole we we lit this huge massive field where at the, towards the end they're like running up through, and then they go through like these these trees. It's I want it to feel like the Shining, right? Yeah, we lit it and it was like beautiful. All the fog was just like the whole thing was filled with fog, and then I, we get ready to, to shoot, and I look up and it's like all gone. I'm like, where did my, you know. <laughs> And they're like, well, the, there's the wind, John. I'm like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, always, I feel like you're always, like, trying to, like, ex- get people to do, like, something that's completely impossible. And you're wondering why it's not happening. You're like, what, what, where did my wind go? You know? So, like, it's just. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's just funny. But, no, the cast was amazing. I think that, you know, it was, there, it was literally, like, guys that came out of, like, my my, like, workshop, you know. 
and none of us were like this was probably for many of them was the first time they ever set a foot on like a real set you know and so it was kind of wild just what we were able to do just you know so yeah, yeah. Just, it looks all i know like i say it looks thanks very professional very good and uh <laughs> yeah i was not i don't know how to say this not not surprised because obviously i watched a lot of indie <laughs> horror but i was surprised at how well it was there i thought it was very oh thanks very on point so thanks massive well done for that one i thought it was brilliant but yeah. the, the film is set in um 91 yeah. well the first scene is uh 86 the the opening yeah. of the film is set in 86 then we go five years later 1991 so what was um kind of the inspiration for choosing 1991 is that a particular favorite year for you yeah. was there a reason behind that or yeah well it's interesting i, I was originally going to shoot set it in 1994 uh that's when i graduated high school and and so when we shoot the sizzle, when we shot the sizzle reel for it, like the summer before we shot the movie, if you look at the styles of everybody in the film, like there's people are wearing like, you know, like a band T-shirt with like a thermal. And that was like what we used to wear all the time, like when I was in high school, because I would go to shows all the time, see bands play and stuff. And uh, but then we moved it kind of back. Like someone was like, why don't you shoot it like kind of earlier like around like the early, like late eighties. And then I thought 91 would be great because it's kind of the end of the era of the eighties, but there's that weird, you know, it's like, you're, you're still seeing styles from the eighties and then there's the nineties coming. And so, and I kind of looked at what was happening in 91 and I was like, well, that'd be a really interesting year because there's uh, at the same year you had guns and roses, you had Metallica's black album, you had blood, you had red hot chili peppers, blood sugar, sex magic. And then you had, nirvana's nevermind album which i thought was such a like just a ground changing like a like a world changing kind of moment and so i thought well that'd be cool because i feel like it's the end of that 80s innocence you know so like even in the 86 thing they're kind of playing up the corniness of 80s movies a bit yeah 90s you can start to feel that kind of sense of like the the angst or whatever you know yeah. it's called grunge or something but so there's actually some nods to the one scene at the end is actually like the the nod to the nevermind cover <laughs> oh okay yeah yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. and you That's see cool. it, it's like the with the baby and the thing so yeah yeah, yeah. anyway yeah but there's so but i just think it is kind of i just feel like the 80s have been done so much and like i think with uh, the the ideas I have for the sequel, I think that we'll get even more into the '90s culture of the time mm-hmm. because uh, the sequel idea I have for it is going to kind of be a parallel timeline sequel that happens the same night, but kind of takes place away from the camp. Mm-hmm. And so I wanted to kind of go through the the mom and pop indie video stores of the '90s, and even go through like the basement indie band like kind of college parties at the time, mm-hmm. um, and just have that kind of a, a you know. Yeah, when, when you get more money, you can put more money towards production. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Mine. And so I wanted to have more of that, I think. So, but yeah, it's awesome. Well, that's kind of a cool idea because <clears throat> the movie is called Final Summer. So it's cool that the, if the sequel takes place on the same night, it's still a, it's still that final summer. Right. Well. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. Not, like, going, like, oh, yeah. yeah. People are like always like, oh, what about like Final Fall or Final Winter? I'm like, no, dude. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I can't do that, you know? But like, no, I, I think. Yeah, because what is the other alternative? It's like, oh, a couple of years later, the story picks up and it's everybody's in therapy. And I'm like, I've seen that. And so so uh, the sequel, I'm excited because I feel like it, there's some interesting uh, crossovers with this one, too. So like, 
In this one, you've actually heard our final girl in the next one. So in the next one, when it goes to those scenes, you're kind of on the opposite side of what is happening at the camp. So I'm actually, I, th I think that'd be kind of fun in a way yeah. so where you're like, oh man, like, whoa, that's, holy cow, like we're here again, you know, but it's a yeah. thing, you know. Awesome. So. Anyway, so no, that's cool. So, what, what, so what is the the plan there? Are you going to do a, another Kickstarter, or yeah. so how we'll how do... long do you think that will be till that's kind of out there? Yeah, so I think um, Kickstarter. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah. Um, so I think we'll do. I'm planning on doing an Indiegogo this fall, probably start probably mid September and run up towards like Halloween or something. And then, so I think we were gonna we kind of do something similar, which is shoot the sizzle reel for the next one. So there's a scene in it that the, the sizzle reel is going to be kind of like one full kind of scene from the next film. And then, you know, obviously just, just kind of like a lot of the kind of like the sizzle reel kind of shots of the, mm -hmm. you know, the violence and all that stuff. And then um, basically I'm kind of planning on next summer, 2024 is to shoot that. So obviously this all is depending on if the film gets out there and we develop an audience, but uh, I kind of feel like I was very inspired by terrifier too. Mm -hmm. or, if, or even like go back to like Sam Raimi's Evil Dead and then Evil Dead 2, you know, where it's like didn't have a lot of money for that first one. But he kind of took all the lessons he learned from that and came back and really hit the ground running. Yeah, because that's yeah. what I feel with this was I feel like we learned so much on this one. We were able to pull off a lot while under like insane stress and <laughs> lack of money and sleep and all this other stuff. And so I feel like there's things I want to, it's like to have, to be able to kind of approach a film again without all the insane crap. Yeah. You know, 24 <laughs> hours, like before you're like, I'd love to do a film without having to worry about how we're going to eat. And, you know, yeah. Yeah. Well, you surely can't be like any more kind of crazy than the shoot for this one. With, oh my God. You know, it's going to be like, you got to think you've been through the mill. You've been through the mill with it already. Yeah, so like, yeah. this is going to be, Oh, yeah. for the second time. I mean, I've been on I've been on sets where it's like you go on set and like the director's back at the monitor drinking a latte. Like, yeah, maybe we can do this thing here. And I'm just like, <laughs> that would be a dream, you know? To like, yeah. <laughs> I mean, we were carrying like lights and combos and C stands yeah. all through the thing. I was I was operating, and I mean, yeah. it was it was madness. But it, I don't think I would do it any other way because I always say like, you only got one shot at making a first film. And there's so many things you probably will never get a chance to do again mm. if you make a second film. So I feel like it's just if you're ever going to go for it, might as well go for it on your first one. So Sure, yeah. It's the mad world of indie horror. Like, I just oh, think yeah. <laughs> I just love that. Um, and that's one of the reasons why I, I really love indie horror is that the community around it, the, mm. the, the people who make the movies, the actors, they are just so invested in for the love of you know making the indie horror film and it, there's just there's just some magic about indie horror that i think is different to any other kind of genre you know oh, yeah. like, it's just the, the passion and yeah it's just, I, I just i love it all and like, oh, yeah, yeah. Like, part of the the fact that like you say you, you're lumping everything around is <laughs> it feels like part of the the magic of it all you know oh, low, yeah. low budget and just yeah. awesome yeah definitely yeah Oh man, yeah. I should probably, yeah. I don't know any other questions you had at all. Or? Yeah, well, I've got a few. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say um, <clears throat> about the poster. So the poster, oh, I, yeah. um, I put it on the Instagram the uh, yesterday, and it got like quite a lot of traction. To be honest, it's really eye-catching poster. Um, 
how who came up with the poster because I feel like for an indie horror film, <laughs> the uh, the best the way to get people watching is a great poster, like yeah. get people through the door. Yeah. And you've got a great poster, so oh, how nice. did how did that come about? It was well, I saw I saw a poster for Halloween Ends that really caught my attention, and it was it was Michael Myers kind of mask, and it had this cool like neon triangle under it. And I was like, who is doing that? Because it felt so much like from the eighties. And all of the posters that I kind of grew up with, you know, as a kid, you look at the poster and it's like, it's like kind of telling you this story about this crazy, what I, you know, like this amazing, like incredible film of all this madness and stuff. And so there's this guy, Creepy Duck, his name is Coleman. I think he's actually from the UK, but um, yeah, I just kind of reached out to him. I was like, hey, you know, like da 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 And he's like, oh yeah, totally. And I was like, oh, thank God, because... <laughs> really want to do a, like a poster with you because you're exactly what i i want for the for the film you know and so we started talking and we just started talking a lot about i would share uh posters from movies like alone in the dark and um all these other a lot of uh matthew fear who did the um or matthew peak i think who did the uh, uh nightmare on elm street dream warriors poster you know just like that kind of evocative like the colors and everything and and so then uh, we just kind of started working back and forth and kind of talking. And then um, he needed like some some uh, high res stills and we didn't really have any because we shot like on anamorphic and there's a softness there. So like me and my friend went to Shatterglass and on their green screen, I was just like doing I, at this point, I had no money to have an actor come down and pay them at all. So I just yeah, I just got the mask on and I'm like swinging the axe around and all that stuff. But the one I, that he used, I remember I was like, Oh, there's this poster from a Bloomhouse movie called uh, "The Town That Dreaded Sundown," where like the guy's like kind of looking from the back and he does his head turn. And I was like, "Oh, we, we got to do that that pose." And so we did it, and that was the one he liked. I'm like, of, "Of course, you know." So yeah, yeah. <laughs> but when oh, I awesome. when I saw it, I was like, "Oh, dude!" Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, the poster is honestly it's 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 gorgeous, and I love a great poster for indie horror. I think like that sells the movie straight away and the poster is just yeah like on point and i feel like that's going to get a lot of people in for you as well like just to see the poster really going oh, oh yeah. it looks a total throwback and right like say, it's absolutely incredible yeah oh yeah and that's what i wanted to because i always wanted the film to feel like a lost franchise from the 80s was the uh-huh. thing and so that that went from the poster to the name to the, the, the even like the mask being simple, you know, and then yeah. also like uh, to go to the end credit song. Uh, so there's uh, my friend Jeff uh, Schroeder, he plays in the Smashing Pumpkins. And so mm-hmm. I did a music video for his other band called Night Dreamer, and it's called The Taste. And I, when I heard that song, I'm like, oh man, this song should be like an end credit song for a movie or something. And so originally we were going to have him do this song by Pat Benatar called shadows of the night because i felt like that represented excuse me the final girl but you know when you have like no more money left you're like hey jeff what do you think about this song and so because i I go back to like alice cooper man behind the mask and like you know dawkins dream warrior and 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 that's stuff that jeff loves too like we we always talk about dawkins and stuff and and just i wanted a song that had that power of that and so like when he, he was like yeah sure you can use the song i was like this is amazing because I want that that anthem, that anthem of that rock anthem, you know. From yeah, that, yeah. And, so yeah, but, uh, yeah, yeah, that's an that's an awesome end credit song as well. I will say that was that was one of the things I was going to say because obviously Jeff 
in the Smashing Pumpkins, one of the biggest bands in the world. Yeah. Uh, so, do you know them through like your previous musical experience, or is that like? Just... Um, I kind of met him. I was working on doing a music documentary, and I, I just kind of met him through a mutual friend, and we just started talking. And he's like, "Oh, do you need music for the doc?" And you know, so I'm like this is great yeah yeah. <laughs> so then we just started kind of becoming friends and then i i did two music videos for him and then kind of over covid um actually did like a uh a, a for sweet relief he sent me um oh some footage to kind of cobble together or edit together into like a kind of a more of a performance video because at the time everybody was like opposite so i did i did a, a joy division um uh, disorder it was like him and then mark lanigan from uh screaming trees and then i did one with like peter hook for a ceremony and that was like i mean that's like yeah. i love joy division and then i love new order and so i remember when he he asked me if i would do it i'm like are you kidding me like <laughs> <okay>. yeah <laughs> and so i remember like editing the video and i was like pogoing in my basement and i remember like with the because I, I love that movie uh 24 hour party people you know, where, where it's like you see them in the studio with Mar Martin Hannett and the guys like playing drums. Oh, yeah. yeah, studio yeah. And he's still there playing drums. And so and then I thought of Factory Records and how I wanted the video for a ceremony to feel like you were at the Hacienda, you know, like in Birmingham and, and just or no, I mean, Manchester. Manchester. Yeah. And <laughs> all of the lighting and everything. And so it was it was it was total dream. And so. So, yeah, I just kind of like worked with them. And then I did some stuff with the Smashing Pumpkins. Uh, like a, another one of those like COVID shoots where like I shot Jimmy Chamberlain playing and then it was for like the Tonight Show or something. But yeah, it was just it was just fun. it was just kind of you know like it's like yeah. a dream a, li a little bit you know. Yeah, that's so just that's but awesome. Cool. But yeah, that is awesome. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, like they're working with some of the biggest bands. Like that's that's the dream really. So yeah. That's, that's yeah. Um, and I was gonna ask as well because <clears throat> you've got. Tom Matthews in yeah. final summer as well. Friday the 13th alumni love Tom Matthews. Yeah. Um, how did you, and somebody else as well, actually, which I, I will ask about as well. Tom Atkins. Oh yeah. 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 A, uh, Do you mind if I use the restroom real quick? My, yeah, sure. Yeah. No problem. Yeah, cool. Just two, one second. Sorry. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. So I was asking about Tom Matthews. Yeah, and yeah. He's involved in final summer. And uh, I suppose we'll start on him before we get to Tom Atkins. Cause so yeah. how did you get Tom Matthews involved? Because yeah. Having him in a Cam Slasher film is kind of a, a stamp of approval in a way, oh, yeah. really, from horror fans. <laughs> well, it was interesting because originally, I get like the kind of paradox of being a first-time filmmaker for for feature is that like no one knows who you are, and so no one's really willing to take a chance on you, um, unless you know. And so, like uh, originally, I reached out to like Kane Hodder, and actually, he was his agent said he would do it, but it was like way too much. So I was like, yeah, I, I can't do that. Even though the character of one of the characters in the film is basically based on his story. So the the Warren Copper character actually is based on, if you ever seen the documentary uh, with Kane Hodder, where he, he talks like how he was burned and he had a lot of- like, Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah. And so I kind of based the Warren Copper character on, on seeing that documentary of him because I thought- Wow, it's like I that's a different side of him I didn't even think about. But anyway, um, but he was just kind of beyond my my uh, budget level, <laughs> you know. And then, um, excuse me. So then, we shot a bunch of other actors, 
and finally got into Neil Affleck from My Bloody Valentine. So he was originally going to be in the film, but then because of COVID and, and some visa stuff, then it's just, he just couldn't do it. And so finally I'm like, well, and you, you always kind of like look for actors who maybe haven't done things in a while. And so I'm like, well, Tom Matthews, that would be kind of cool, you know, cause he was Tommy Jarvis and he was in, you know, like a fan favorite of the Friday films. So I reached out to him and talked to his agent and then he seemed to be interested. I was like, oh my God, like what? <laughs> and so he said he would do it. And I, I was like, oh, this is awesome. And then a, a sheer panic fell over me because I was like, oh man, we have to be like, you know, show up, you know, like professional yeah. when he comes there. And so, so that was really great. But I really like work with him a lot um, because he, he, you know, again, like when you work with actors who've been doing it for a long time, they're just a language that they have for like a cinematic language where they, they kind of understand focal lengths and their shot size and like kind of just the whole physicality of their performance. So that was really exciting because I like to work with, because I love film. And so anytime I can work with someone at that level, it's exciting because I feel like we're, it's fun to speak that language, you know? Yeah. So he was cool. He wasn't. And, and I think like, I realize now, Although it, I don't think it would have really worked for the story because it wasn't necessarily the story, but, you know, I probably would have had him more in the film, <laughs> <laughs> you know, but I kind of wanted to set him up as like this uh, Tommy Lee Jones, like uh, the sheriff from No Country for Old Men kind of thing. So, you know, uh, so, at the you know, so I, I wanted his character to be kind of like the last character you would see in the film too, yeah. like as a, as a fellow fan. I feel like that would be a cool fan moment too, where it's like they can see him like the last guy on the screen kind of, yeah. thing, you know, but he was great. Um, but yeah, so if he, he kind of has already agreed to like come back for the second one and the second one, he'll be, he'll have a much bigger part. Yeah. So, so I'm excited for that. And then uh, no, it was just, I just think like it was really, yeah, like you said, it was helpful to have him on. Cause I feel like that, that added, added a little bit more legitimacy yeah. And like I see people in comments be like, whoa, is that Tom Matthews? I'm like, yeah. <laughs> well, I think he's in it, to be fair, a pretty respectable amount. I don't think it's uh, noticeably short or anything yeah. like that. He's in yeah. it a respectable amount. I mean, he's not going to be, you know, the, the main camp counselor kind of character. Yeah. What he yeah. does play is really solid. And he, you know, he's on screen a, oh, yeah. a good while. And I say ends the film on a, oh, yeah. on a nice note as well when we see him there again. So. Yeah. That's awesome to hear he's in the second one. Oh yeah, yeah. Because the second one, I, the third act of the second one, he's a big part in that. I mean, he's, he's it, the, the the sequel will kind of follow. There's like kind of like the final girl story, and then there's this mm -hmm. alternate story that I would compare to like, you know, I was seven with like Brad Pitt and Morgan Freeman's character, where they're they're kind of searching down this mystery because the whole thing really is kind of like I go back to like surviving like like a psychopath kind of thing. It's like all of their lies and manipulations and so you tend to see until you kind of get away from it to see that it's like lies and manipulation you, you're always trying to figure it out like none of this makes sense there's pieces that don't add up i like every night i'd go to sleep i'm like well wait a second you know that and that would happen for like a year you know yeah. and two years beyond that but like so i think like it's almost like if you when you think you've solved it the puzzle you know you realize you're only looking at one side of the puzzle and then it's like this Rubik's cube. And so I wanted it to have, so really it's like what you've, what you're seeing right now is almost like one side of this Rubik's cube. Mm -hmm. And then 
by the second one, I think it's even more crazy. We're like, what is happening kind of thing. So, but yeah. And then that leads us into Tom. Uh, yeah. Tom Atkins. Tom there Atkins. It, oh, there it is. Let me see, let me see if he's. Yeah, all right. Oh, yeah. that is awesome. Because I was going to ask, like, what happened to the painting? Because I was, see, I was like, I said to him, I was like, oh, it's Tom Atkins. Like, right. one, of my, like one of my most cherished, like, he is a, tr a horror treasure. He's like a Hollywood treasure. Like, that man is just, you know, protect yeah. Tom Atkins at all costs. Oh, I know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, how, I, did that, how did this happen? How, how did this come about? Well, it's funny. Well, I, I would have loved to give him in the, I just felt like, just with kind of he's getting up there in age and I, I think it would just been very unsafe, you know, like I didn't want to risk, you know, like killing Tom, App, you know, or that's but like, you know, with COVID and it was very, you know, we were in the middle of it. So, uh, but he did, but I thought, cause I always love Easter eggs in movies, you know, and I always feel like if you can, you can throw Easter eggs in the background for the fans who are paying attention, you know? And so it's fun to watch the movie with an audience. Cause every time I get to that shot, everybody's like, Oh man, like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just, so I reached out to this agent. And I was like, "Hey, you know, what do you think about if he was the the in a painting in the in the film or whatever?" You know. Oh, oh, sorry. There you are. You're back. Don't no, you just kind of cut off there? Sorry, you completely oh, cut sorry. off. It was just uh, very odd. Like, you just froze and then cut off. <laughs> oh, that's okay. I can start again. I could just say, uh, yeah, no. Tom Ak Tom Atkins was kind of always yeah. my favorite. Um, from the eighties. I mean, like Halloween three, me and my friends would joke and we'd always say like, what would Tom Atkins do? And so he was like our kind of like our spirit animal in a way. And um, no. And then like night of, what is it? Night of the night of the creeps, I think is another one he yeah. was in. And uh, so we, I just kind of liked him. And then he was the sheriff in the reboot of the, my bloody Valentine 3d, you know? So it's just, <laughs> yeah. You know, or not the sheriff, but he was like one of the guys I think, but um, yeah. So that was kind of cool because I think it's like just anytime you can, you can throw Tom Atkins in the background somewhere. That's pretty fun. Yeah. You know? So I think sorry. Yeah, I think you cut off just as you were talking about his. You, you contacted his agent as well to check that oh, yeah. not being in the painting. So what? What was yeah. the? What was? How did? You, did he? Did he just cut, like say yes straight away after that? Well, I kind of just described like kind of what the what the idea was for his part in the film because it's really just it's kind of like within the legacy of the of the family they're kind of like i based basically the family on like the trumps or whatever and so like his character is almost like a fred trump where he's like just this, this is gonna sound funny but like <laughs> but kind of the patriarch of this family that is just legacies of corruption and crime <laughs> stuff like that. Yeah. and so i just felt like like you know he's kind of the 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 kind of where it all originates from you know in a way and so he's like the big bad of this entire thing you know and so i wanted it to be i feel like i just gave away the entire plot for the next for the whole trilogy but like <laughs> <laughs> no no it's, well, it's still, okay. it's, it's a mistake is there it's still, yeah, still yeah. There. and so and i just felt like it was something where i wanted i wanted to have that legacy and the connection to the past because i felt like yeah. he's such a uh important part of of horror you know and, and especially like just the films and the roles he played. I tried to get um, Adrian Barbeau to be the mom. So in a in a photo, you were also going to see her photo. But I think they just somehow I just got lost in the shuffle because I did talk to her agent, and they were like, "Oh yeah, totally, let's do it." And then it just never came through or whatever. So, but that's no. you know, it's 
Maybe I'll save that for the sequel because Adrian Barbeau is another one where like she was in the fog. I think Tom Atkins was also in the fog. Mm -hmm. Dean Cundy, John Carpenter. So I think it's just more connections to the past. And then same with like the name of Camp Silver Lake is kind of a nod to Nick Castle who played the shape in the original Halloween. But he made this film that I really liked as a kid called uh, The Last Starfighter. And in the movie, like they're, they're going to this place called Silver Lake. And so I wanted it to be like, oh, yeah, like they go to Silver Lake. And, and just the way my brain works, I was like, oh, yeah, it's like a nod. To, even though it's like, you know, Camp Crystal Lake. You could yeah. Get, you know, but that wasn't really my intention so much as it was as a, as a fun way to kind of throw a nod to Nick Castle. Yeah. But I don't think anyone got that. So, <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, you've got this incredible art piece of artwork there of, of Tom Atkins, which no one in the world will have. So it's, you know, that is, that is absolutely beautiful. Fantastic. And I was, cause I was like, say, I was wondering before we came on, I was like, what happened to that painting? And obviously it's there in your house. Oh, so yeah, that is so absolutely <laughs> awesome. That is awesome. So um, how could people, when do you anticipate people being able to see the film? Because it's had uh, festival appearances last year. Yeah. And um, so, yeah, how, how could people, how do you think people will see the film this year? Yeah, we'll be going to streaming this summer. Um, so we did get distribution in December, and we're just kind of working through all of that right now. They're actually like in Berlin this week uh, at the European Film Market kind of getting. So I think we were talking, there's a couple, like a distributor from UK that they were talking to. Um, so I, I would say probably by summer we'll be into streaming. And um, I've got a few more festivals to go to. So I think there's... Um, Horror Hound is the next big one in Cincinnati. And then there's a few more. I'd love to get into like a Macabro in Mexico City. But we, we actually played at a Cine Excess. And then there was a, a Dead of Night Festival, I think, in uh, Liverpool. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And so and that was like an earlier, rougher cut of the film, too. So <laughs> I was so annoyed. I was so close to going to Dead of the Night. So I think I said oh, it, right, yeah. it was literally like. I looked to get tickets and then I think there was only like one ticket available. And I was like, oh, oh wow. God, I'll just go on my own. And then when I thought, when I actually thought, nah, screw it, I'm just going to go on my own. <laughs> it had gone. So I was like, I was so yeah. good. And then, so yeah, I would have been able yeah. to see it sooner. Yeah. But, um, so you're doing some more festivals. Are you doing convention appearances in like uh, for the um Yeah. So, well? um, mainly just as part of the film festival. So I don't think we're, we're quite to that level yet of like, you know, people don't really know me, <laughs> which is which is cool too. I kind of like going and just, I don't know. I just I don't like the red carpet stuff too much. I just like to be. You know, I'm very indie film. I always came from indie bands, and you know, I just I I I, I like. I'm not a big LA kind of a velvet rope person at all. So I just like, you know, it's just fun to just be with everybody and you yeah know, that stuff. And uh, no, so. But yeah, um, I think we are going to do like a, a, a camp. We're going to do a screening at the camp next fall for Halloween, actually. So I got the actual camp. So I'm excited about that. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Yeah, yeah. That's very, right. like, uh, very Myers house esque in that kind oh, it's of a, Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like you're watching it, you're like, yeah, <laughs> that's literally a lot. Yeah, yeah. A good idea anymore, you know? <laughs> like, <laughs> this is fun. And then they, the, the film ends and you're like walking back to your car, like, yeah. yeah. You should get someone like there dressed up as the killer as well, like with some oh hiding God. in the trees or something. Oh, I, out. I thought about doing that. At, we we did like four days at a, a theater in town here, and we did a drive-in premiere opposite Halloween's, actually. And I was thinking about running around the drive-in dressed as like the killer just for a laugh, you know, but I was like, 
maybe I don't want to do that. <laughs> I don't know if people really need to have that kind of experience, you know. But, yeah, yeah. But it was fun. Maybe it holds. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe, yeah. Maybe when they're expecting that, not like you know, because of some of the other things that have happened in the country. But like, uh, yeah. I remember I went to like the the third night of the thing. I dressed up like the character at the beginning of the film who was telling the story and. I remember I was, I kind of walked in and this girl started looking. <laughs> is, she's like, did you make this movie? I'm like, oh yeah. She's like, wow. You know? Yeah. I'm like, awesome. I'm, I just felt like if they were going to go out to the theater to watch my movie, I should be there too, you know? So yeah, yeah. That's fantastic. And yeah. obviously what a great thing as well. Like, I say, I always think you've, the, the movies out there, like you have a movie that no one can ever take that away. No yeah. one can ever take away the effort, the, the you know the passion, the sacrifice, and then the movies out there forever. Which um, you know, I just think is. I would love to do something like that. I mean, I never, I wouldn't be able to, but I just you, you know, I think it'd be uh, yeah, yeah, maybe one, maybe one day. You never why know. Not, why not? You know, what are you gonna do? You know, like yeah, like because like, I think the thing to go to, like maybe the final thing to talk about is just with, with indie film, man. All the things that people are always like, you know. Oh man, like so I I <laughs> I started on this in like 2019, you know, and I can't tell you how many times I would go to like different people who are producers or filmmaker friends and ask them for help or this and that and the other thing. And and the thing that people that I've kind of learned is like no one's ever gonna care about your film as much as you do. And mm -hmm. so if you kind of understand that going in, I think that kind of helps when no one does show up, you know, the money doesn't come in, the actors, the crew bails or what, you know, I had like a near mutiny in the middle of the shoot, <laughs> you know? And so I think it was, it's good to kind of get that in your head. Cause I think so many people would be like, Oh, I've got this great idea. I need a producer and uh, you know, a million bucks. I'm like, yeah, so does everybody, you know, <laughs> <laughs> but that's not going to happen. And, and, and there's a great, um, uh, South by Southwest this keynote speech by like Mark Duplass and they talk about how the cavalry is not coming you know mm -hmm. and how like you and your friends are your cavalry and I think that's the best thing to to really take to heart is is like one like no one's ever going to believe in your film as much as you do so so that's fine I think adopt that right away and just learn learn everything you possibly can and I think when like there are so many things I didn't know that I didn't know, you know, <laughs> going through this. So I had to learn everything. So I had to learn, you know, like the D making a DCP, you know, how come my five, like we went to, we, we premiered at popcorn frights and our audio was terrible and it was my fault. So like when I, like <laughs> when you're exporting on a premiere in the DCP setting, there's like a five one for your audio mix, which is what it, it was supposed to be. And, and in the setting, it says five one. So I click on it. And I go there and it's like completely not. And it's like the worst sound I've ever heard ever. Oh, no. I'm sitting there for 83 minutes having this, a panic attack. <laughs> oh. Cause, and I asked people before them, hey, guys, you, you've done this before. Can you help me out? And no one was available. So I just oh. did what I did. But then after the fact, you learned your lesson. So there's just all these like lessons you learn. And and then but I feel like now I have a better sense of the real lessons and, and, and the ways around things. And, and so it's just like I think for people who might be like, oh, I'll never make a film. It's like, you totally could, you know? Yeah. And it making, I feel like making a film is, is a miracle. Like it's a miracle to me that a film is ever made. <laughs> <laughs> like I go to like Walmart and there's this bin of like $5 movies. 
I'm like, that's a bin of like $5 miracles, you know, because yeah. all these, even like, you know, you laugh, you're like, oh, who wants to watch this one? But it's like, it was a miracle to make that film. And so I yeah. think, so I think if people just think of it like that and, and you get a, you get your friends together and you just make movies in the weekend and then you, you be more, you become more ambitious, you know, like I didn't realize making this film that I was, Oh, by the way, you're making a, an action movie too. I'm like, wait, what? Like I, I thought I was making a horror movie. Then you realize, oh, you need to like work on all your blocking and yeah. you learn all of this. It's just incredible. So it's it's been such an education. And so I think that's the thing I would just say to people listening. It's like if you're thinking about making a film, like there's so many like YouTube tutorials. There's Masterclass, which is great. There's great. There's tons of books out there, you know listen to director's commentary on like DVDs and stuff. I mean, there's just so many things. Yeah. The only, the only thing that you, I feel like the, the thing that separates, cause it's like all that stuff is available to learn. I think the hardest thing is just learning how stress impacts you and then how you just have to never give up on it. Cause it's like so many people, like even like when I went to distributors, right. Like I, I went to AFM and I, I worked on some, I saw posters in a room, but I literally worked on the film and I went in to talk to the distributor like, oh, hey, I worked on that. And they like looked at me like I was nuts. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, you're crazy. And, and literally that same distributor had come and contacted me recently saying like, hey, John, you have world distribution. I'm like, yeah, not for you, though. <laughs> so, <laughs> but it's just so it's just so. So I think just never give up, you know, no matter what. So I think you talking about your obvious love of slashers, I'm sure there's a story you want to tell someday. So I think, yeah, just go for it, you know. And, yeah. And, and and I think the worst, the thing that I, I'm most appreciative of my experience of being, of surviving, it's like, I always go back to like, it'll never get as bad as what that was, you know, because I'll never let anybody have that kind of power over me ever again. And so I think it's almost like it frees you in a way mm-hmm. to, to not be afraid anymore. And I think most people, some people are afraid of like failing. Oh, what if it makes me, it sucks. Well, you, you probably will. So like <laughs> you just keep working. until like the thing that sucks starts to get a little bit more mediocre to where it's like average. And then maybe you just make something good. You know, yeah. <laughs> I mean, that sounded weird, but it's just, no, no. It's, you know what I mean? Like, it's like, yeah. you're going to make, like I've made plenty of crap. So it's, but you learn from it, you know. Yeah. So, anyway. And uh, that's awesome. And like I say, anyone who goes out there and puts everything on the line and makes a slasher film, nothing <laughs> but love and respect from my side, man. And uh, yeah, I, say, I just want to say a big thank you for coming on the podcast. I thoroughly appreciate it. Like I said, I've seen, I've seen the film and I, I really enjoyed it, but I can't wait for everybody else to see the film for it to get a wide release. And uh, just for everyone out there, you know, just when final summer hits go and support it whether it's on streaming if you if it gets any you know local showings or anything like that go and support it and uh yeah i think that'd be awesome and where can people find you john in terms of social media and stuff yeah. like that where can people follow you guys yeah we're on uh, so final summer movie on facebook final summer movie on tiktok which was crazy like that that, that blew up like insane because we always get like people who are like ah it's a rip off of friday i'm like well that was a rip off of halloween so what it, you know <laughs> we're in the same neighborhood but like uh but no like tiktok final summer movie that's been great and then instagram final summer movie also and uh yeah so that's great thank you so much i'm gonna get some food yes uh, yeah and i appreciate your time we've gone Absolutely. got a long time there and uh, really appreciate it that's and, fun. Uh, 
Yeah, and uh, like I said, best of luck with the film, John. I appreciate you you coming on. And uh, feel free to reach out anytime. You know, so so yeah. Yeah, we'll talk slash, I'm always down to talk slashers, you know. So awesome. Well, we'll try. And, I tell you what, when you do, when we do the sequel, I think get, we'll get you back on and we'll, we'll talk, yeah. talk it all again, and we'll we'll shoot with the shit and go through it all again. Awesome. Thank you. Have a good night. Awesome. Cheers, John. Thank you very much. Thank you. Okay, everyone. So that was the Slasher Street podcast interview with the writer, director, and producer of the upcoming 90s slasher flick, Final Summer, Mr. John Eisberg. Hope you all enjoyed that interview. Uh, As much as I did speaking to John, we had a fantastic uh, conversation all about his career, all about Final Summer. And obviously, make sure to follow all the Final Summer uh, social media accounts. You can find them on Instagram, just search Final Summer Movie. You can find them on uh, Facebook, again, just Final Summer Movie. For all the information uh, on when the movie will be released, how you can watch it, and how you can support the movie and all that good stuff. So, uh, obviously, I think it's uh, it's going to be doing some uh, festival runs as well. So, if you are going to any film festivals over the next few months, keep an eye out because Final Summer might just be on the bill and it is well worth checking out. So, ladies and gentlemen, that will do us for this week's episode of Slasher Street Podcast. I do have another special guest lined up that I'm actually going to be talking to tomorrow night. So, I'm not actually going to... Uh, tell you who it is at this point in time um, because I don't, you know me, I don't like to jinx things until really everything's done and in the in the can because you just never know. People's schedules clash, people get busy and you just never know. But what I will say, what I will say is that this particular guest that I'm speaking to tomorrow night is a truly bucket list guest for me. And uh, he is the writer and director of one of my absolute favourite horror movies of really the last 15 years or so, definitely the last 10 years. So that's all I'm going to say at this point in time. If you are a long-time listener of the pod, you might already know who that is. Who knows? But uh, yeah, keep your eye out on all the Slasher Street podcast, nearly lost my words there, Slasher Street podcast, social media accounts, uh, as we you know make the announcement, and then you will be the first to know who that special guest is. So fingers crossed. We are so busy at the moment. It's absolutely fantastic getting all these guests on. I'm truly, truly honored that these guys give up their time to come and talk to me on Slasher Street podcast. It is thoroughly appreciated. And obviously, a big thanks to John, Uh, for taking the time to come on the podcast and talk all things Final Summer. It is massively, massively appreciated. Um, So anyway, ladies and gentlemen, we will leave it there. We will leave it there for now. And uh, I will see you all on the next episode of Slasher Street Podcast. But in the meantime, everyone, remember, there is only, well, two things left to do, and that is to stay tuned and stay scared. Eyes are deceiving me. What you see is real. What's done is done, and what I've done is right. It's the work of science.
experiment of horror. Then you intend to go through with it? Yes. Yeah.